So, should we follow our children's passions like animals, robots, or ballerinas, or teach them the things they need to know, like math, science, and literacy? What if I told you there was a third way? You're listening to the Parenting Junkie Show, the place to go to love parenting and to parent from love. I'm your host, Avital. Hi, I'm Avital. My work focuses on empowering parents with actionable and inspirational and often alternative ideas to try and emphasize on your parenting journey. My goal is to help you, my fellow imperfect, intentional parents, say goodbye to clutter, chaos, and conflict, and reclaim peace, presence, and play for your family so that you can love parenting and parent from love. So I'm out here trying out the ideas, sharing with you what I learned through books and courses and from the experts, sharing them with my clients through my coaching practice and my courses and memberships, and of course, trying them out on my own family with my four children who are homeschooled and currently ages one, three, five, and just turning eight. Before I move any further, I just want to say thank you so much to anyone leaving a review. It means the world to me. If this podcast or any of my work has been helpful for you in any kind of way, I would love to call in a favor and ask you to please go and leave a review. It just helps so much with the iTunes algorithms and it helps people discover this show and it helps us help more people. Like Lauren, for example, who left me this lovely review. She left five shiny stars and said, Avital is amazing. Avital has completely changed my outlook on parenting and my relationship with my kids. She puts words to the feelings I have suffered since my four-year-old was born, burnout, and showed me how to break free of that depressing cycle. She has literally given me my joy back. Lauren, I will be forever grateful for this podcast and all of Abital's words of wisdom. Lauren, that means the absolute world to me to hear. I am so thrilled that my work has helped you somehow. Um, And anyone who's inclined to leave a review, thank you so much. And hey, maybe I'll shout you out in a future episode. Now, the show notes for this episode are over at theparentingjunkie.com forward slash 27. And did you know you can leave me comments there? You can also leave me your comments or questions on Instagram. Just tag at parentingjunkie. I really love seeing where you're listening. I love it when you shout me out in your stories and I love to share those in mine. So thank you if you're doing that. But let's connect. Let me hear your feedback. This is a two-way conversation. So today we are talking about one of these kind of paradigms that happens, this polarization that happens when we think about what we need to teach our children. And in a way, this is linked to the difference that people perceive between meaningful work and learning and play. People think that children play when they need to play. That's the time to follow your interests. That's the time to do do your hobbies and have your fun. And separately, you need to do your work that you just need to do. And I am the first to say that in some cases, that's just the truth. That's just how it goes. There are some things in life that aren't your fun, that aren't your joy. We can learn to reframe those. We can learn to see them in a different way for sure. But it's okay if it's not always your, you know, interest. However, It is much easier when it is. And that's what we're going to talk about here. 
So the first thing we try to do in order to get our children to learn, you know, we all want our children to know those core subjects. We want them to read, to write, maybe to speak another language, maybe to, you know, know math and arithmetic and science fluently and history and geometry and all those core subjects that we need to sit children down on their tushes and motivate them with extrinsic rewards such as grades and prizes or punishments and threats if they don't perform on these subjects because we think that's what education is. So then we come along and we learn about Emilia Reggio and about unschooling and about Sudbury schools and about all these different approaches to schooling that actually follow the child's interest. And they say, oh, children are interested in bugs. Let them learn about bugs. If they're interested in princesses, how about they learn about princesses? And I don't know about you, but that can leave some of us scratching our heads with, well, yes, that's wonderful. But what about learning about all the stuff that they wouldn't naturally learn about. What about a child who's all about bugs and super into science and super into animals and categorizing and they're going to learn all the anatomical name to bugs and the life cycle of a bug and all of that stuff by following their interest. But will they learn history? Will they learn reading and writing? Will they learn arithmetic? Are they going to learn art and drama? Are they going to learn social and emotional skills? What about all the other stuff they need to learn? If I follow their interests, what if they just like to play outside or dig holes or sew clothes or play Minecraft all day? If I let my child follow my in- their interest, the fear goes, maybe they're missing out on important skills that we need to teach them. In the toddler years, it's things like teaching them colors or numbers or ABCs. And then it's teaching them right and left and learning to tie their shoelaces or read a clock. Or it goes into actual, you know, school skills, academic skills like reading, writing, long division, you name it. So if we just follow our children's interests, will they get all of that? When we follow our children's interests, what we feel good about is the fact that they're passionate, they're learning, their curiosity is intact. But what we feel nervous and guilty and bad about is that maybe they're not learning what they need to learn. Maybe they're not going to be keeping up to grade level if they are just following their interests. Okay, so then we say, well, what about if we teach them these things, right? What if we send them to a school or we sit them down with homework or we sit them down with a curriculum if we're homeschooling and they will be forced to learn. They won't have a choice. They have to go to school. They'll, you know, we'll make it as pleasurable as possible, but at the end of the day, they're not going to get a choice in this. We're going to force them to go to school. We're going to drop them off. They're going to be basically coerced, right? They're going to be manipulated. There's going to be no choice in in their subject matter. They're going to have to go through the steps just like all the other children in a standardized one-size-fits-all curriculum and go through those paces at the same time as all the other six-year-olds their age, for example, right? We can force them. Um, But, you know, what happens when we send them to schools like that or when we do that at home is that we have this sense of fighting, of battling, of pushing with our child. It's always an argument to get them to do their homework and to motivate them further and further with extrinsic motivation, i.e. things outside of themselves. They're not motivated like they were in that bug example where they're just fascinated by bugs and they'll take all the books out from the library on bugs. 
Now we're saying, well, you need to get a gold star from your teacher, or you need to get, uh, you know, a grade on your paper, or you need to tick off this chart box, and at the end we can get you a prize, or give you ice cream, or you'll get to do your screens if you do this work. Right. So I think the trouble for most of us here, at least for me, is that when we sit down children in this way, and I'm guilty of doing this, is that we teach them that this learning, this, you know, let's say it's math, this math is miserable stuff. And we really need to sweeten the deal for you. We need to pay you. We need to bribe you, in essence, to get you to do it, to get you to motivate, right? And so are we teaching children that it's simply not fun to learn with all these systems, with all these rewards and punishments in place, right? Like if you don't do this, you won't get a good grade. If you do, you will, etc. Are we undermining their intrinsic motivation? And, you know, even further, are we making life harder than it needs to be? Are we going against the grain of what's innately passionate and true for our children and basically teaching them out of their own internal alignment with themselves? I wonder this because I do sometimes sit my uh, turning eight-year-old down and tell him, okay, now we have to do math. And I think there is a time and place for that. There are some things that are just outside children's realm of interest. And sometimes we just kind of tick that box. Okay. All right. Fine. But how do we make that the exception rather than the rule? How do we motivate children to learn things that are the common topics, the common subjects, the core subjects that every culture decides what those are. But how do we make sure they get that knowledge, they get those skills without undermining their intrinsic motivation? Is there a third way? There is, and I'm about to share it with you. But before we get into that, I just want to say that this is relevant for everybody. If you have a kid and you're wondering how we can look at their education in a holistic way that doesn't undermine their intrinsic motivation, because you might be thinking, well, my kids are going to go to school, so this is irrelevant for me. But if your kids are going to school, it can still apply to you. Think of some of the ways it's even more crucial if your kids go to school. For example, how do you relate to what they're learning in school outside of school? How do you motivate them to do their homework if the school gives it? Or how do you talk to teachers and administrators about the type of education that you think would be more appropriate, more inspiring, more aligned for your child? So whether or not school is kind of ticking that educational box for you, I really want to open your mind to thinking about this. Now, I've recently read a book by Julie Bogart called The Brave Learner, and it's a fabulous read, and I'm sure I'll be quoting it in many different instances. Now, Julie's writing to homeschoolers, it's true, but I think that this is important for anyone, because if your child is in school, in a way, it's even more important that you become an active participant in their education, rather than just leaving it up to teachers uh, and the luck of the draw, and making sure that, you know, hoping, in fact, you can't make sure, but just hoping that the teachers aren't undermining their curiosity and aren't, um, you know, closing off educational passions of theirs, you could become that active participant, that active advocate uh, and the active um, collaborator with them on their education outside of school hours or even inside of school hours if that's a possibility for you. One of the amazing things I learned from this book, The Brave Learner, is 
an idea that I actually was already practicing and already knew from my own life. But Julie put it in such a simplified term and it really helped kickstart me into action and pick up where I was kind of slacking a little bit. And here it is. Here's the idea. We think that our children learn what they need to learn through their passions, fine, but then the other stuff they have to learn through the textbook, right, or through school. What Julie says is you can learn everything through anything. In other words, take any passion that your child has. In my child's case, at the moment, it's Harry Potter. So take that passion, the interest in Harry Potter, but it could be trains and it could be ballet and it could be robots and it could be outer space. It could be animals and it could be Minecraft. Anything that your child is drawn to and interested in and would naturally spend time talking about and playing about and researching and reading books about and watching movies about, that is your gateway drug to education. You go through that prism and you make Uh, that topic be your pathway, be your map to all those other core subjects. Okay, I'm going to explain what I mean and I'm actually going to break it down with the example of Harry Potter because that is the example that my child's interested in in the moment. But I want to tell you one thing first. This week's YouTube video actually shows this Harry Potter example in action. So you can see what I mean and get inspiration from it. Hopefully it will be helpful to you. So I highly recommend watching that after you've finished listening to this. So there are three main steps you need to take if you want to follow your child's interest all the way through to a common core subject, okay? It's really kind of simple. The first is you've got to identify what your child's interested in. You've got to actually take note. If they keep talking to you about PJ masks or uh, Paw Patrol or fairies or fashion, um, then take note. Listen up, because they're giving you the keys to the kingdom right there. They're telling you exactly how you can get to their heart. You know, they say a way to a man's heart is through their stomach. Well, a way to a child's education is through their interests. So find that your child's interests perk up those ears whenever they start talking about something again and again, because our our parenting tendency is to say, oh, they're obsessed, not this again. How annoying, right? And we kind of say, oh, I wish they were just as obsessed with math or science or drama or art or music or languages. Why aren't they obsessed with something else? And for every parent, that thing is different, right? We all have this kind of subconscious or conscious agenda of what we wish our child was interested in because children in our family should be successful at XYZ. So in your family, it might be doctors or lawyers. It might be artists. It might be teachers. It might be mechanics. It might be entrepreneurs. It might be social sciences. It could be so many different things. Every family, you know, some families are more academic and some families are more professionals and hands-on. And we all have this different agenda. I wish my child was obsessed with reading. I wish my child was obsessed with sports. What is the thing that you think would be the coolest, most successful path for your child? Put a pause on that, put hold on that, and instead start to draw your attention, divert your eyes towards what your child's interests are. They are the keys to the kingdom. 
Number two, I want you to do what Julie Bogart calls a cloud map. I think she calls it a cloud map. But the idea is basically you look at your child's interest and you branch out from there and you suddenly see all the different connections you can make to that particular interest, all of the different learning opportunities that are related to that interest, how you can make things relevant for your child from that interest. And I know this sounds a little bit unclear. I'm going to give you concrete examples, three concrete examples that I've followed in just a moment, okay? And then the third thing is you actually plan out. You buy the materials that you need or you make the materials or you borrow them from the library or you get the books from the library that you need. You go on the visits that you need. You find the mentors, the videos, the Google websites, the anything that you need to support this interest of your child. And that will help you to go from there to the educational experiences that you're trying to ignite and inspire and induce in your child. All right, let's make this super actionable for you right now by giving you three examples. Okay, uh, the first example is Lego. Are your children obsessed with Lego? Mine certainly are. And yours might be a little young for it, but let me tell you, I really hope they do get obsessed with Lego in the future, except for two little things. One is, it's kind of expensive to have a Lego hobby. I know, buying Lego kits can get on the expensive side and it's not very minimalist friendly. I really do agree. And the second thing is that they are plastic toys, which, you know, is never my preference just from an eco standpoint. But I think Lego is well worth it because, first of all, they stand the test of time. My parents still have the Legos that my elder brothers used to play with almost 50 years ago. And my children play with it today. So it's definitely an heirloom quality toy. And it's the ultimate in open-endedness. Um, I think it just breeds so much creativity and, you know, just a lot of skills from block play. We know this from research. I mean, playing with blocks is actually causally linked to success in academics later on in math, uh, for example. So it's a great pastime as it is, but if your child is playing Lego all the time, you might be wondering, okay, but I really should be teaching them, you know, whatever it is, history, math, science, engineering, architecture, uh, literacy, reading, writing, all of that stuff, right? So what can we do, right? Well, you take the interest of Lego building, right? And then you map out all sorts of different ideas. And an amazing place to go is this little place called Google, where you put in things like Lego learning ideas or Lego curriculum ideas or Lego for math. And you will find the most incredible ideas. I mean, more ideas than you can handle probably. So you're going to have to kind of whittle them down to the things that are relevant for your kids' ages and stages and interests and your budget and what you're inclined to do. But you basically build yourself a little curriculum right there. So through Lego, you can easily learn math. I mean, the truth is they're probably learning a ton of math without you even inspiring it or igniting it. But if you look at the blocks and you look at the fact that there are twos and fours and eights, etc. in the blocks. We can talk about odd and even numbers. We can talk about patterns. We can talk about geometry and addition and subtraction. Hey, if I want to build this wall and I have one missing, 
how many dots do I need? Oh yes, because eight minus two is six. And we show with the Lego how that works and we just speak it into what they happen to be doing. You can also go a little bit further by downloading, you know, some prompts or worksheets or um, instructions for how to use Lego in math. You can use it in engineering. You can up your game by downloading instructions for building chain reactions, for example. So if your children are usually building just their run-of-the-mill, you know, buildings and rocket ships and stuff, and it's all really cool and awesome, but you want to stretch their imagination further, you can inspire them with ideas of, hey, why don't we build a chain reaction? Why don't we build a set of dominoes, for example? My mother-in-law bought us a chain reaction kit for Lego, and it's not something that my kids can particularly do on their own, but it's a great activity for us to do together. And because they love Lego, it's something that they are naturally excited about and drawn to. So here we are learning all about engineering and all sorts of physical laws like gravity and um, Newton Newtonian laws, and we're doing it through Lego. We're doing it without them being sat down with a textbook and me being frustrated and me having to incentivize them with lollipops so that they can finish it, right? We don't need to do all of that because within their realm of interest, we can find all of these core subjects. Here's another example with Lego. We could go in the robotics direction, right? They can learn programming. Now, this is if I wanted to invest in the robotics Lego kit, but even if I don't, maybe I could watch a a few videos with my kids showing them what's possible with Lego, showing them how people have created prosthetic limbs using Lego pieces. From there, we can talk about the experience of why someone needs a prosthetic limb, what that must be like, what the teams programming that limb uh, needed to take into account. We can talk about gratitude. We can talk about the fact that we're healthy or that we're not or whatever it is. So many conversations can open up from there. We can go into architecture. We could print out or get out from the library books with all sorts of architectural uh, inspiration. And we can talk about what the different buildings were meant to make us feel, why they were built with different materials and try to replicate those with our Lego. We can talk about scale and try and make miniatures of the things that are in our house. We can talk about social and emotional skills and use Lego people to play out different scenes that are happening in our lives, like hitting each other. If your siblings, if your kids are hitting each other, we can play that out through Lego and teach them empathy and coping skills through play. We can talk about budget right? Hey, you want to save for a Lego kit? Let's do the math on how long you'll need to save if I give you $2 every week. This Lego kit costs $16. Let's sit down and I'll teach you how to do that math, right? So suddenly we're talking about math. We can talk about planning and follow through when you follow instructions, when you're being smart about using a tray to keep all your pieces together. We can talk about colors and color mixing and art and science and all sorts of amazing ideas through Lego. We can hit on all of those common core topics through this. We can also talk about the backstory of Lego, how it was invented, how it actually um, progressed and evolved through the years, and the idea of what, you know, what was that genius idea of Lego? What failures did Lego as a company face throughout the years, and how did they overcome them? There's a fascinating show on Netflix, I believe, all about toys and the history of toys, and one of them is dedicated to Lego. Really interesting. 
So behind any topic of interest, anything, uh, including, you know, Mickey Mouse, there's a whole world of learning at your fingertips, a whole world of things that we can branch off into and go deeper and really gain a full picture, 360 degree understanding of that thing. Let's go into the next example, which is Harry Potter, which is what we've been delving into in a big way recently. So my seven and a half year old is about to turn eight, uh, has been really into Harry Potter. So. I could say, oh, Harry Potter, yes, I understand that you're, fa you're fascinated and obsessed with Harry Potter. And this could be anything. This could be Star Wars. It could be the military. It could be uh, princesses. We're going to get to that one in a minute. Um, it could be kittens. Any obsession. Uh, we can say, oh, it's just a waste of your time. What you really need to be focusing on is math, right? I always say math because I feel like that's the typical one, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's literacy for you, right? So... What did we do with Harry Potter? Well, we're just looking for more and more ways to get deeper and sink our teeth into this juicy, juicy topic of Harry Potter and the magic, <laughs> excuse the pun, of, of this world. Not because Harry Potter is a wizard and he does magic, but because when you're passionate about something, it opens up the magic, the enchantment, as Julie Bogart calls it, of learning, right? We are enchanted. A spell is cast over us and we just can't help but, you know, breathe in and slurp up more and more information. So with Harry Potter, for example, I went online and I looked for some science experiments we could do around Harry Potter themes. You know, in Harry Potter, there are all sorts of herbology classes and potions classes. And there are some awesome internet mamas out there who have created downloads that you can pay for or free options on Pinterest of different science experiments that you can do with your children based off of Harry Potter. You can go to the forest like we did and collect sticks for making your own Harry Potter broom, the Nimbus 2000 in our case, but maybe you'd want to make the Firebolt. So we collected sticks and we sanded them off and we, you know, stuck them together and created a broom. And then we have this wood burning carving tool. And so we carved into it and we learned about this process of how can we recreate the look of this Quidditch broom from the movie, from the book. Speaking of the movie, we watched the movie. We enjoyed the movie. In fact, it was one of those fun moments when uh, my son had already gone to sleep. I tapped him on the shoulder and said, hey, you want to wake up and have a midnight movie with, us, with me? Of course, it was 8 p.m. at the time. But we watched the movie and it was just this fun a part of learning about Harry Potter. We've listened to all of the books and we're reading the books. Now, side note, I mentioned this in my video, Harry Potter is not actually age appropriate for a seven-year-old. You know, I don't think that the contents in the books, at least fifth, sixth, and seventh book, are actually so age appropriate. They're a little scary. They're a little bit uh, adult in many ways, but I also uh, am not anxious about that because my son is... Uh, seems ready for it. He's into it. I don't want to stop him. I feel like stopping him would just create forbidden fruit and would just harness this, you know, passion in a, in a negative way. And I just wanted to let him go with it. But I just wanted to put that out there in case you were thinking of doing this with your child. 
Um, but he's also read the book. So he's read books one through five in the physical form, in book form, and listened to books uh, six and seven on Audible. So we did that. So he's getting a lot of vocabulary there, a lot of literacy skills, a lot of reading skills. And then we do a lot of writing as a result of that too. I wouldn't say a lot, actually, that's an exaggeration, but some writing. So to make that really fun, and because I was a little indulgent here, I actually got him a quill and ink set and a wax seal set. And what we did was we are going to be planning him this Harry Potter birthday party. It's very low key. It's not as fancy as it sounds, but we're just doing a whole bunch of crafts and stuff based on Harry Potter. And it's just him and two of his best friends. They are going to come over and we're going to make these different stations. So me and him are planning this whole thing out. And that's part of the curriculum as far as I see it. So for example, he's using this quill to write out the invitations, right? It's kind of like, you've been accepted to Hogwarts at my birthday party, come to Hogwarts. And we made these invitations on good old fashioned paper and envelope, and he sealed it with a wax seal. So we're learning about the history of why were people writing with a quill and ink? Why are people sealing envelopes with a seal? Why didn't they send email? Well, let's talk about that. That's a great conversation all about history right there. Right? Not to mention that it's always fun to practice your handwriting with a new tool. So the wood burning is a new tool. It's a dangerous tool as well. So it's extra fun and intriguing. And then writing with a quill and ink, that's also intriguing and fun. It gives a different feel and a different perspective to putting pen on paper. So we did all of that and then planning and, and follow through and event planning and hosting and budgeting comes through and planning this party with him. We're learning all about that. What stations would be fun for our friends? What do we want to budget for? What can we create on our own and what do we have to buy and how can we buy things that are friendly to the earth uh, and what should we do with them afterwards? We can talk about cinematography, we can talk about history, we can talk about architecture. Just look at the Hogwarts building and let's talk about why it was designed that way. What does it look like? What does it make us feel? Can we replicate it with Lego or with blocks? We can talk about the cinematography of the videos, right? The films. Why do the films leave out certain bits that we do see in the in the in the books, let's compare and contrast them, right? So rather than having him write a formal book report for something that he didn't choose to read, we're just doing an ongoing, never-ending book report for something that he can't get enough of. Let's talk about the characters, the morality, the, you know, the complexity of what they're facing. Let's talk about what's real and what isn't, what's magic and what isn't, what's scary and what isn't, right? And then we can get into J.K. Rowling and her story. You know, the founder story of anything is always fascinating. How did she build this empire? How did she become one of the richest women in the world through writing this book, you know, on the back of a napkin as a, a penniless waitress, single mother in England? Can we learn about that? So there's a great Who Is series and there's a Who Is J.K. Rowling book and we can learn about her and get the backstory. We can watch the how it was made. We can watch interviews with her and get to know that whole story further. And my son took this whole thing a step further as well. He took it into the realm of entrepreneurship because that's how he rolls. So we started making these little um, iron beads, flat beads, they're called, uh, figures. So it's a cool project to make flat bead figures because 
first of all, there's quite a lot of math involved there too, just patterning things out and counting out the beads and making sure that you're following the pattern correctly. But also there's an artistic expression to trying to uh, convert, you know, a full 3D figure like Harry Potter into this uh, pixelated form. But he decided he's making these things and he loved them so much. He was like, I want to sell them. I think other people will love them too. So I said, well, that's a great idea. Why don't we start uh, making you a little catalog? We'll take photos of them. Um, you can show them to your friends and see if anyone wants to buy them. So we talk about how should he price them and where can we sell them? And in fact, we opened him an Etsy shop so that he could sell them there. And he has yet to make a sale there, but I'm confident one will come. And then we talk about, well, how can we present them? How can we make sure that people know what they're getting, that it's the right size? How can we make sure that people are happy with what we send them, that we're providing them with a great product? And all of those things. So he's learning to use tools, art, design, self-expression, and then he'll find himself suddenly drawing his own comic strip of Harry Potter or uh, learning about owls and drawing owls because there are a lot of owls in Harry Potter. So we can go and find a Planet Earth, you know, video about owls or National Geographic and it just goes on and on and on. There is no end to what we can learn. We can learn math. Because, you know, my son wants to know how long it will take him to read this book. So we average out how many pages can you read in a day? How many pages are there in a chapter? How many chapters are there in the book? Okay, how long will it take you to read the book? We can do math problems. I can just set him math problems or find math problems online that are Harry Potter themed and he'll be excited about them, right? Like setting him riddles. And if I write them in quill on my special paper and leave them in a sealed envelope, much the better. Because that's what enchantment is all about. Okay, one final example for you, and I'll try and keep this one nice and tight, but I think you're getting the picture. Let's talk about princesses. So many of us don't love the whole princess obsession for our girls, right? Or our boys. Um, but I say that whilst I'm not super into princesses necessarily either, my three-year-old daughter really is. She loves talking about princesses. She actually even more so loves talking about queens, which I'm very pleased about. <laughs> but the point is that it's a valid topic as any other. And remember the rule, you can learn everything through anything. So through princesses, we don't have to stay at that surface level of Disney princesses. We can go deeper, right? We can research and find videos and pictures of princesses from India and Russia and from the Victoria era and from ancient Egypt and from Rome, right? We can talk about what it means to be a princess. Were they all happy with their role? What about their responsibilities and what are their privileges? right? We can find endless princess science experiments online. Yes, just such princess science experiments. And you can take your child's passion for princesses and tie it easily into science. 
You can do frozen princesses and learn about ice blocks and how they melt and how they freeze and do all sorts of amazing baking soda experiments and hair experiments and all sorts of fun stuff that are princess themed, right? You can learn to sew, sew your own princess dress or save up for the one you want and learn budgeting, learn math skills. Maybe you want to invent a new princess design and you design her clothes or you design her superpowers or her responsibilities or her partner, her prince, her magic prince that she finds, right? How about drawing your own comic strip or making a video about her? What about dramatizing this whole thing? Dressing up as a princess and making your own stories around it. Alternative endings to the classical princess stories, for example. Why not? You can learn about history by actually learning about real princesses throughout history. You can learn about architecture by learning about different castles and palaces throughout the world. You can learn about social structure by learning about people who marry in to the royal family and become princesses. And on and on it goes. And of course, literacy, reading, writing skills, they come with all of these as we simply read books about Lego, about Harry Potter, about princesses, about robots, about outer space or under the ocean or mega monster trucks. It doesn't matter. It could be Minecraft. It could be magma tiles. Whatever your child's passion, we can drive it further and open their horizons to educational opportunities without forcing it, without sitting them down and forcing it. So I hope this has inspired you and given you a little window into a third way that isn't only following our child's interests passively and isn't only forcing core common subjects onto our children, but instead finding a third way that is being a partner in their education, collaborating with them, following their interests all the way through to the myriad ways they can actually provide the education that you might have on your adult agenda. I believe that when we teach children and guide children in this way, much of the resistance, perhaps all of it, falls away and makes way for passion and education becomes a fun and creative endeavor. So I very much hope this has inspired you, but I do want to say that if you are not able to do much of this, if your kids go to school and they need to go to that school for whatever reason, and it's not creative and it's not progressive and it's not in the pedagogy that you were hoping for in the slightest, let's talk about that next week. Thanks for listening to The Parenting Junkie Show. If this was helpful for you, I would be so appreciative if you would subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Subscribing to the show means you'll get the bonus episodes that I only deliver here. And when you rate and review the show, it helps other parents find it. I'll be shouting out some of my favorite reviews in upcoming episodes and would love to spotlight you. And remember, keep on loving parenting and parenting from love. Namaste. Namaste.